Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Broadcast Booth. I'm John Leahy. Thanks so much for being with us once again on the podcast this week. Uh, last week, if you tuned in, I had an update for you on uh, some new features we have with the podcast. We have a brand new website, and I detailed that. Uh, the website, if you missed it, it's at podpage.com. That's P-O-D-P-A-G-E.com. And then you just uh, type in the title of the podcast with a, with a dash in between each word. So it's uh, podpage.com backslash airing it out files from Leahy's broadcast booth. And uh, there's a lot of cool features now uh, that you can uh, take advantage of. Uh, there's a means for you to uh, send me a voice uh, message. There's a little purple microphone lower right-hand corner. You can send in uh, a voice message. There's also a way for you to leave a review. And all, all kinds of uh, interactive features on the website, and I invite you to check that out. And if you missed uh, that episode, uh, please feel free and go back and check that out. And uh, in addition, all of the episodes that I've done, you can find right there on the website. There's a, a there's an ability for you to search, and you can go back. If there's a particular guest uh, that you want to rehear, uh, you can uh, simply go back and do a, a search on the website. So um, that is exciting in and of itself. We're going to go back to uh, having a live guest with us today, live at the time of recording anyway. Uh, we're going to talk with a gentleman who is uh, very synonymous with uh, broadcasting sports here in the region. Uh, he's a gentleman who uh, recently, on 98.5 The Sports Hub, uh, was behind the mic for three Boston Bruins games. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. Our guest, uh, a good friend, Ryan Johnston. And, uh, Ryan, it's so great having you here. Thanks for take, taking some time this morning. Anytime. Good to talk to you, John. All right. Well, Ryan, I, I have to ask you first about that experience with the Bruins. Um, you know, you uh, weren't expecting to uh, uh, head in and, and do those games, and uh, it was a wild and crazy uh, sort of a sequence for you. Uh, get us caught up to speed on, on how that all happened and, and how you reacted to it when you found out you were doing the Bruins. Yeah. Um, so just going back, the first time I ever filled in on a Bruins game, I had about 12 hours notice. Uh, wow. that was back in 2011. Uh, this time around, I beat the record. Um, I had <laughs> <laughs> what about seven hours notice, uh, before the game. Um, I was driving in actually on, uh, it was a Saturday morning to do my regular hockey show on the sports hub. And it was about eight o'clock in the morning. And I got a phone call from the program director, Rick Radzik, who, uh, you know, doesn't call me typically on Saturday morning. So, right. I knew something was up right away and he, uh, I picked up the phone and he said, uh, the Judd Surratt, the regular play-by-play -play guy had, had tested positive for COVID that morning and wasn't going to be able to do the game. And, you know, so first things first, he says, are you available to do the game at three o'clock this afternoon? <laughs> and I said, sure. I, you know, I can absolutely do it. Um, you know, and then I begged him, can you get me out of doing the hockey show this morning? Cause I got to get home and, get a suit and try to figure out, you know, who plays for the New York Rangers. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Right. Uh, that was, uh, that was how I found out. I ended up going to the station and starting the hockey show until they could get, uh, someone to come in and fill in the rest of it for me, uh, recorded a few things, got back in my car about nine 30. I live about 45 minutes away. So I drove home as fast as I could legally. And, uh, <laughs> I spent uh, about two hours studying as, as fast as I could, getting all my prep work as much as I could done before I had to get my suit on and get back in the car and get back down to the garden. And I probably got to the booth 
maybe an hour or so before before we went on the air. And so I did a little bit more studying and then did the game and uh, ended up having to do the game the next day, which was in Montreal. I had to do that remotely because I couldn't get up to, to Canada in time right? Uh, with all the COVID protocols and things like that. So that was a new experience having to call the game off of TV. And then, uh, and then two days later, we, we did a third game at the garden and I had a full two days to prepare for that. So that was a little bit easier, but it was one of the more hectic uh, four day stretches I've ever been through. Did the reality of it, Ryan, hit you as you're driving home from doing that first game? I, I mean, I know that, man, I mean, there's a lot to take in. You're excited about the experience, but I imagine when you're driving home, you're like, man, this is what I just did. Pretty incredible. Yeah, it's, you know, I've, this is the, the, what did I figure out? So I've had previously done five regular season games and one preseason game, and now I had three more onto that, but you know, anytime you get the opportunity, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, it's something that, um, you know, I think you're the same way. You kind of, you, you've dreamed of doing forever. And so, you know, to just to get that chance and even if it's just for a game here and there, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, you get the, the nerves of, of that, you know, you know, you want to do a good job. You want to make sure you're not letting anybody down. Uh, but you also get that energy rush of being in a, you know, a sold out garden on a Saturday afternoon and the crowd's really into the game and it was a fun game to call, um, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, you get off the air and you kind of take a breath and say, wow, that was really cool. And then you realize, I got to get home and start studying. I got another game in less than 24 hours. Right, right. <laughs> so that's what I did. I went home and I, I poured myself a drink and uh, grabbed a little something to eat. And then I immediately sat down and started going over the you know things for the Montreal game the next day. Well, you mentioned the Montreal game, and you talked about uh, talking, uh, doing that game on a monitor. Was was that your first time doing it? Now, I know I did a Northeastern game on the monitor uh, back in November, and, and it was a natural fit for me. But describe how that was for you and, and how you got through it. Yeah, it was. It is the first time I've ever done it. Um, you know, growing up, you do it, you know, <laughs> you, oh, yeah. you, know oh, you, yeah. you turn the sound down and try to call a game, but, you know, nobody's listening at that point. <laughs> um, you know, to, but it's, you know, this is Boston, Montreal. I mean, this is, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, if, if it's ever going to be a game that you want to call, that's, that's one of them. And so, you know, I, I was really nervous. It was probably, you know, more nervous than I've ever been going into a broadcast, even at the NHL level, because I, it was something totally foreign. You yeah, know, the first yeah. time I ever got called to do a, a Bruins game, like I said, I had about 12 hours notice and I was, I was nervous as could be all day long, but I knew in the back of my mind that once the game started, once I got through all the pregame and there's a half hour pregame and you got a you know bunch of different elements and live reads and things right, like that right. that I wasn't really familiar with. But I kept telling to myself, once they drop the puck, you know you can do this. Right. You know, I, had, right. I at that point had called I think somewhere around eight hundred hockey games in my life. And so yeah. it was like I, I know what I'm doing. I can do the play by play. It's just I gotta get to I gotta get to that point. And once you get into the game, you kind of settle in. And so going into the Montreal game on, you know, knowing that I was going to have to do it from a studio uh, and, and we're just working, we're not even working off of special feeds. It was just literally the Nesson TV broadcast that right. we had to work with. Right. And so I didn't know what that was going to be like. 
And was I going to be able to identify the players? And, you know, was I going to be able to keep it up to a, a certain standard? And you just, you know, you just kind of have to do the best you can. And to be honest, I was surprised given the technology that they had and being able to morph in the, the audio from the arena and things like that, um, how normal it really felt. And it was, you know, it was a little off and it was difficult to identify some of the Montreal players at times, but um, you just, you know, you, you do the best you can. And, and I thought, you know, when I, when I was done, I was happy with it, given the circumstances. Absolutely. And, you know, my strategy for doing those games, Ryan, is I don't rush it. I just let the play come to me. You know, I'm, yep. I'm watching, I'm watching and my brain sometimes works faster than my mouth. So I have to force myself to slow it down. And I mean, it's not a race, right? But like you said, you know what you're doing. Once the, once the puck drops, you're fine. And I think where we run into trouble as broadcasters is the anxiety that the thought process that gets us kind of in that in that mood but but you're right Ryan as soon as the game starts you usually do fine yeah and and there is some of that and and that's even sometimes during a live broadcast you know when you when you're there in person it's like you got to understand to you know like you said kind of take a step back take a breath you know let the let the game play out and keep up with it but you don't necessarily have to mention every pass or right. every time a different guy touches the puck you can you know you can fudge it a little bit and and that's what i tried to remind myself it's like okay you can't tell who's got the puck but you can tell where the puck is so right you know or which team has the puck and so you just kind of until that guy turns around so you can see the number on his sweater you just kind of fill the gap until you're ready to go. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure I'll have similar thoughts. Like, you know, if I ever wind up doing a game on Nesson or TV, uh, I'll have those thoughts because I've never done a game on Nesson before. So I may be picking your brain if that ever happens. So, um, but yeah, this is great stuff. I, I wanted to go back uh, just to talk about your history a little bit, Ryan. I know for you, it started at Syracuse University. You got a BS in broadcast journalism. I've heard so many great things about Syracuse and what they do for aspiring broadcasters. Uh, so maybe you could just uh, let us know how was that experience and, and how great is Syracuse in terms of getting a student ready for broadcasting? Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was kind of a no brainer to me when I was looking at schools and, you know, I had talked to, um, the, the, the guy who actually kind of steered me in that direction first was, uh, was a legendary broadcaster named Harry Callis. Oh yeah. That, yeah. um, Har Harry was, uh, I grew up in, in Philadelphia and Harry was the voice of the Phillies. And he was also one of the voices of NFL films. Yeah. Legend. You know, yeah. Called some NFL games on radio. And, you know, he was just, just one of those great broadcasters and, and was kind of my idol growing up. And, um, when I was getting ready to go to high school, we moved out to suburban Chicago, a town called Naperville, Illinois. Oh yeah. And yep, it, I know it. And it turned out that Harry Callis was a graduate of my high school. Wow. And uh, he had grown up, you know, he had grown up out that way. Mm. And so, uh, during spring training, when I was in high school, I reached out to him cause we were going to be down in Florida and, you know, I asked if I could come and, and meet him. I told him, you know, I was from the high school and all of that. And, and he could not have been more gracious with his time. And that was one of the questions that I asked him was, you know, if you wanted to get into broadcasting now, where would you go to school? And his son, uh, who went on to work in major leagues as well, Todd Callis right, had right. gone, had gone to Syracuse. He had sent his son there. And he said, you know, I got nothing but good things to say about Syracuse. And that's what really kind of 
pointed me in that direction. It's like, if it's good enough for Harry to send his son there, you know, and, and, and get him into the big leagues, then that that's a place that I need to check out. And I, I just, I loved the campus. I loved the, you know, the environment there. And more than anything, it was just ripe with opportunities to get on the air. Yep. And that's yep. what you need to do. If you want to get into broadcasting, there's no, there's no way to learn it from a book. You just have to get on the air and get your reps in and get experience. And so from the time that I got there, uh, I was, you know, working at one of the campus radio stations pretty much nonstop. And, you know, the classes to me were, you know, that were fine. And, and I, I learned a lot in, in terms of, you know, being on camera, being behind the camera and, and all the different jobs that go into it. And, you know, you learn how to edit and you learn how to, uh, you know, how to report and you, you learn all that. But there was nothing better to me than actually getting on the air. And I did a little bit of everything. I did some play-by-play. -play, I did some reporting. I did some DJing. I did, you know, some stuff behind the scenes, a lot of production work. Um, and, and it all came in really handy, uh, you know, over the course of my career so far. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the interesting story about Harry was uh, he actually passed away in the visiting radio booth at Nationals yeah. Park in Washington, D.C. I, I think if you're a broadcaster, that's probably the way you want to go. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, of course, anybody who's been in the industry in the field knows Harry and, and what a legend he was. So uh, I'm glad he, he, you know, he gave you that uh, insight. And, and I've heard many great things about Syracuse. But uh, in terms of where you've been in terms of play-by-play, -play, I know you did a decade in Lowell, Ryan. You started with the Lowell Lock Monsters. Uh, they, you were there from 2000 to 2006, and then the Lowell Devils of the AHL from 06 to 09. So you spent a whole decade at the Sanga Center. I did. Uh, and and before that, um, you know, this is the part that gets left out because it's, I got to Lowell um, in a very odd direction. Um, I got the I got the job, you know, through the radio station doing play-by-play. -play, but prior to that, I had actually spent – about 20 months living and working in a place called Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Oh wow! And uh, that was my, you know, so interesting. When I went to when I went to visit Sir, the Syracuse campus, we met with the head of the broadcast journalism department there, a terrific guy named uh, named uh, Doc Edwardson, and he had, uh, you know, he had he was telling me, I'm sure the same thing he told everybody he says, you know, are you ready for your first job to be on the upper peninsula of Michigan or, you know, you know, someplace in Alaska or something like that. And, you know, of course, when you're, you know, you're 17, 18 years old and you hear that, you think, well, that's not going to be me. I'm going to be on CBS sports. You right, know, the moment I graduate, right. they're gonna be, you know, <laughs> well, my first job six months out of college, lo and behold, is in a place called devil's Lake, North Dakota. Wow. And it was it's a town of about 9000 people at the time. It, that is the biggest town within about 90 miles. Uh, it is legitimately in the middle of nowhere. All right. And I had been I had been you know trying to get jobs. I had looked into, you know, sent out a bunch of tapes for TV, you know, be a sports anchor and things like that and wasn't really getting anywhere. And came close to a job actually at a station that I had interned at in Utica, New York, yeah. and lost out on that job to uh, Ryan Nobles, who's a CNN reporter now. Um, okay. So, you know, he's pretty, he had pretty good jobs. And so I lost out on that job. And I, then I was kind of shrugging my shoulders like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've been out of school for six months. I still right. don't have a job. I'm still living up at Syracuse, uh, just kind of hanging out with my friends who are still on campus. 
And I sent out a, a few play-by-play tapes just out of the whim. And I had done a little bit of play-by-play in, in school, but, you know, wasn't great at it. And, and so I, I just, you know, I sent out some cassette tapes to, uh, you know, a few different places that I had seen had have openings. And one morning I get a phone call from the station manager at this AM FM combo in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. I didn't even know where that was. Right, right. And he, he offered me the job and, you know, wasn't, it was hardly any money. And it was a place that I had never been before. Yeah. But he told me that we do about 150 games a year. There you of go. Yeah. High school and co- high school and junior college basketball. There's hockey. There's football. There's baseball. And I said, well, I'll find out pretty quickly if I want to be a play-by-play guy <laughs> and if I'm any good at it. <laughs> and and that's what made me go. And I did about a season and a half out there. You know, it was, it was about 20 months. And uh, and and from that. I managed to springboard into Lowell in the American Hockey League, which was Im- ridiculous. It never should have happened. That's quite a job. I absolutely yeah. lucked into it. The job, the job came open about two weeks before the start of the of the season uh, for the Lock Monsters. The radio station owner needed somebody and needed somebody quick, and I happened to call because wow. I saw that there was an opening. I called. We spoke on the phone. Uh, he ended up offering me the job over the phone. It was it was completely insane. Wow. And uh, and that's how I ended up getting, you know, getting the job in Lowell. And I ended up, yeah, I did nine years uh, with the Lock Monsters and the Devils before uh, before they moved out of town and, uh, you know, got a chance to do some, you know, a few summers of baseball in there, too. Wow. Well, I want—I do want to get to the baseball shortly, but uh, I, I want to ask you, what were the nerves like for that first game you did with the Lock Monsters? As you said, that's quite a jump. So, I mean, I can imagine you must have uh, been uh, pretty nervous. I, I didn't know what to think. I mean, the, that whole that whole first week was kind of a whirlwind because I <clears> – <throat> I'll just give you the, 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 the quick story. So I got the job about two weeks before the regular season started. Uh, I had to put in notice at my other job because they needed to try and find somebody who could, you know, fill my spot. They had a lot of, you know, a lot of games and a lot of advertisers that had bought time. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was continuing to do games there. The school year had just started. And, um, and, and so I, you know, I, put in my two weeks. And I said, that's all I can give you because, you know, opening day is like 16 days away. Right. Right. And so I, I, I did my two weeks. I drove down to Fargo, North Dakota, which is the nearest quote unquote major airport. Right. I, you know, I shipped most of my belongings via UPS. That's how I was moving. Wow. I loaded up the rest of the stuff into my SUV and I drove a couple of hours down to Fargo and I caught first flight out in the morning I flew to Chicago and then to Boston, and uh, and I had thankfully had a college buddy of mine who lived in the area who was able to help me out and give me some rides when I first got to town. And so I, I, I went to the radio station. This was Thursday. Opening day was Friday. Went to the radio station, met the owner for the first time in person, uh, went over to the arena and met the coach and the general manager and, uh, you know, and, and kind of got the lay of the land. Friday night, we had to call the first game and I didn't really know what I was doing. I, you know, my first professional hockey game, 
the game gets delayed by an hour, John. Wow. Uh, because wow. the Worcester Ice Cats were coming up from Worcester and there was an accident on Route 3 or something and they got delayed. Wow. And so <laughs> this 7 o'clock game turns into an 8 o'clock game. The, the, the Songus is packed full of people and they're trying to entertain people for an hour because the game's been delayed. I've got to fill time. And I don't even know what I'm talking about. Like, I literally don't know anything about, about these two teams. So that was my introduction to pro hockey. And from there, we did the game at home on Friday night. We had a game, I think it was up in Portland on Saturday. And then Sunday, I had to fly back to uh, Fargo and pick up my belongings and drive my way east. But on the way, I had to stop in Hamilton, Ontario, because the team had a game there on Wednesday. Wow, wow. And so I drove from Fargo to Chicago, stayed at my aunt and uncle's house, then drove up to Hamilton, got there the day, the night before the game. I, uh, you know, I called the game Wednesday night. The team then had to go to Philly for a game on Friday. Yep. I drove back on Thursday, drove back to, to Boston, dropped off all my stuff, took a train down and met the team in Philadelphia on Friday, called the game there that night, which was a huge thrill being a Philly guy. I got to call a game at the Philadelphia spectrum. Oh yeah. And then we had to go, we had to get on the bus and go to Norfolk, Virginia that night. We play there the next night. And then we bus 12 hours home and, you know, and, and and get home on Sunday morning (laughs) about, you know, about nine o'clock in the morning. That was, that was my first week in the American hockey league. And, Kind of like the uh, four days calling Bruins games. Like there were very little sleep and a lot of studying. Best I could do. Yeah, that's we all have stories on the road, and uh, boy, that's fascinating stuff. And what, was it much of a transition when uh, it went from the Lock Monsters to the Devils? Uh, it was a little different. I mean, by then I had put in what about was it six years? I think with the with the Lock Monsters, and yeah. there had been you know the, it, it, you're working in the minor leagues, kind of like in college. There's a lot of transition year to year. Uh, just in general, the, the roster turns over quite a bit. Guys move up, guys move down, guys get traded, you know, and, and things like that. And with the lock monsters, we had gone through a number of different affiliations. When I first got there, it was a split affiliate between the, the Kings and the Islanders. And then the Islanders left mid season. There was a dispute over some playing time. Mike Milbury and our general manager, Tom Rowe, didn't see eye to eye on some things. And so, uh, you know, then we, so we, then we just had the Kings for the rest of the year. And then the Kings left to go to Manchester. And so we ended up with Carolina and then we had a split affiliation with, uh, you know, with Colorado for a time with Calgary for a time. So you had, it, it felt like every year there, at least half the team was brand new. Right. And we right. had different assistant coaches and head coaches and all of that. And so when, th- when the devils came in as the new affiliate and Carolina was gone, it didn't feel much different, um, you know, just because we had been through so so many of these changeovers. The one thing that was different was just the level of access okay. that you get. Yeah. You know, the Devils organization. This was when Lou Amarillo was running things. Yeah. Um, and you know, you know how tight-lipped they are about everything. Oh yeah. And yeah. and so even as the team broadcaster, it kind of felt a little bit more like you were on the outside looking in more often than not. And, you know, there were different protocols that we had to go through as far as when you got access to guys. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't care for that that much because I really didn't feel like it's like, you know, it's the AHL level. I mean, we're not guarding state secrets here. Right. right. Uh, 
but ultimately it was, uh, you know, the, the, the players, you know, the players and the coaches were fine. They were, they were great to deal with. They always were. Kurt Klein endorsed was the head coach. I, and, and I really enjoyed working with him. Kevin Dean, who's now an assistant with the Bruins was one of our assistant coaches. Um, they, they were a good group of guys. It was just, you know, trying to work your way into the inner sanctum was, was the biggest challenge working with them. Absolutely. And you've done your share of college hockey as well. I know you did some games at Boston College for a couple of years. And, of course, uh, recently you've had a chance to uh, work with UMass Lowell and also Merrimack. So uh, talk about your experiences in the college game and how fun that has been. Yeah, I first started, uh, you know, with I think my first college game was a was a BC game. Um, 98.5 got a, uh, you know, made a deal with Boston College that we would carry Friday night games. Um, yeah. And, you know, just uh, kind of as a as a package, uh, BC was interested in, you know, in getting some more, uh, you know, more exposure for their program and rightfully so. And and so they they approached me and they said, you know, uh, would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. You know, any at that point, I was out of the AHL. You know, the, the Devils had moved on, moved out of the market. Yeah. And I had started working at the sports hub doing weekends, you know, doing updates and fill-ins and you know occasional hosting at that point and they called me up and they said would you like to do some play-by-play for us and i said sure and so they you know they set me up with the with the bc package on friday nights and uh, got a chance to you know be a part of a national championship team um, got a ring out of it which was the you know which was really cool especially yeah. considering how little playoff experience i got during the ahl days we didn't you know our teams weren't necessarily great most years uh, but it was, um, I, I really enjoyed the college game. And so, you know, that, that opportunity kind of came and went, you know, BC decided to go off and, and do their own thing away from 98, five. So, you know, I did that, I had done that for a couple of years and then, um, you know, kind of here and there, I've gotten to do some, uh, TV opportunities, as you said, for Merrimack and for UMass Lowell. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I just, I, I love it just because, you know, I, I'm not a regular play-by-play guy at this point. Haven't been for a number of years, but it keeps me, it keeps me in it and it keep you know, it gets me some reps every once in a while. So I don't get too much rust on my game. Absolutely. Uh, we always enjoy having you come to Merrimack and it, it's, uh, it, it's great. I've seen you do the Lowell game. So, uh, um, great experiences there for you at the college level. We're talking with Ryan Johnston of 98.5, the Sports Hub. And, uh, Ryan, I want to talk to you about some uh, baseball. Uh, we have a shared um, experience as we both have uh, been uh, doing play-by-play for the Lowell Spinners, uh, when the Spinners were here, that is. You did the games from 2003 2000 to 2006. Baseball's a totally different animal, right? You're doing it every day, and uh, I wonder how that adjustment was, and maybe you could reflect back on your time with the Spinners at WCAP. Yeah, it is a grind. Um, that That's what, you know, when when WCAP hadn't, hadn't had the Spinners, uh, they had been in, in Lowell for... At that point, I don't know, about 15 years, something like that. And, um, you know, they, but they were always on other radio stations. You know, they were on WLH back in the day. They were on WCCM out in Lawrence for a while before they came to WCAP. And, um, and, you know, so Mr. Cohen, the station owner, uh, came to me one day and he said, we're going to make a deal with the spinners. Uh, we're going to have you do the play by play. And, and, I mean, this is at the end of a, you know, an 80 game hockey season where you're yeah. just going, going, going all, you know, you know, your, your weekends are three games in three days. And, 
Um, so I was kind of, I was kind of burnt out at the, at the end of the season generally. And he came to me and he said, we're going to have you do, you know, the spinners. And I, that was the first thing that went through my head was 76 games in 79 days. Absolutely. That was, that yep. was the schedule. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, Ooh, this is going to be, this is going to be tough. <laughs> and, you know, because I, listen, I, I enjoy baseball and I enjoy baseball broadcasting, but um, you know, there are times during the course of that season where you just pray for rain. Absolutely. Just give me a day. You know, Absolutely. <laughs> so if, if we can, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put up with a double header tomorrow. If I can, if I can have the day off today. Absolutely. And, uh, yep. and, and so that's what I found. I did enjoy it. And, you know, uh, the the players and some of the, the you know the the managers and coaches that we had were were a lot of fun to be around, um, but it was a it was a different experience. You know, in the AHL, it's not listen. The AHL travel is not the NHL, right? right? You're not staying in first class hotels, and you're not staying. You know, you're not flying charters and things like that. Yep. You're riding buses, and they're long trips, and you're you know. But the hotels are okay. Uh, when you get to single A baseball. Uh, those, those trips, you know, some of the places we were staying were, <laughs> were kind of interesting. You don't have access to a car. You know, there's no place, no, no place really to go. This was before Uber and Lyft. Yeah. James, uh, so, Jamestown, Jamestown comes to mind, right? Uh, well, were you in the league when Oneonta was in the league? No, because I, that was always, I just missed a, that. Yeah. Yeah. Oneonta, New York, which isn't far from Cooperstown, which once a year we would go and, and check out the hall of fame when we were in Oneonta just to burn some time. Oh yeah. Day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah. I mean, you talk about a place in the middle of nowhere. Uh, there was a really good diner next to the super eight motel where we stayed. There you go. Uh, that was about the only saving grace for that place. <laughs> uh, but it, that was a, uh, that was an experience. I mean, I've been to little league fields that were in better shape than the, than the stadium in, in Oneonta. Wow. Uh, it was, uh, you know, those types of places um, where, you know, you're, if you're, if they were drawing a couple hundred people a night, I, I'd be surprised. Yeah. We and, were, you go ahead. Yeah. It was just, you know, that, that was, that was an experience that I wasn't necessarily prepared for until I got there. And then you start to realize like, okay, this is what this league is. In some places, you know, you go out to Troy, New York, beautiful ballpark, you go down to Aberdeen, beautiful ballpark and, you know, done everything done first class and Lowell was that way. Uh, But there was, you know, another segment of the, uh, of the league where it was uh, pretty bare bones and you had to, you had to get used to that. And and that might mean, you know, having to duct tape some phone lines together just to, just to make sure you could get on the air that night. Yeah. I remember one night we were in Staten Island, we had an extra inning game and we were supposed to go to Jamestown the next day and I'm praying, I, I'm dog tired. And, <laughs> and I get out to Jamestown. We stayed in a little uh, red roof Inn, I think which was on the outskirts of town. And of course, if you don't have a car in Jamestown, you're out of luck. And wouldn't you know it, they, it it rained and poured in Jamestown, and we wound up having a night off, and I was so grateful. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there are nights, you, you're right, you, you absolutely wish for rain. Yeah, and, and you know, the spinners at that point were selling out every game. Uh, that, so our home games hardly ever got rained out. They would wait forever yeah, to, yeah. to try and get the field ready to go because – if they if they washed out the game, they didn't have tickets to you know to to trade in for for the rest of the season. Right. right. So that crowd wasn't going to get to see the game. So you know there were nights where, uh, you know, we waited until nine o'clock to to get the first pitch in, if if at all possible. And you know, I, I remember there was a, a a 
one game in particular, it was a home game where uh, we had an off day the next day. And I, I, you know, was just anticipating that off day. It's like, I'm finally going to get to, you know, I'll do a little laundry because we had a road trip <laughs> yeah, coming right, up, right. but I, you know, I finally get to relax and, and do something uh, the next day. And um, my girlfriend at the time, she, she was, you know, she was waiting for me. It's like, we're going to, you know, we'll get together after the game and we'll get to spend a whole day plus together. Cause we weren't seeing a much, much of each other at that point. Oh yeah. And yeah. the game started, I think the game got delayed by rain finally started late, like an hour, hour and a half late. And then we went like 14 innings. Oh yeah. And yeah. that game ended at, I think around 1230 in the morning or something like that. Yeah. And you know, you know how it is. You get off the air. You're not ready to go right to bed. Absolutely. And you know, so I, I, I called her. She, she was ticked. Oh you know, my God! Yeah. I mean, she she thought I was ditching her, and I'm telling I'm telling <laughs> her like the game went 14 innings, nothing I can do about it. Right. And uh, but you know she said, well you can come over, but I'm I'm already asleep. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so ended up having to spend the next day trying to make it up to her. But you know that but that's you know that's baseball. You yeah, just absolutely. You never really know what you're going to what's going to happen from day to day. Well, before I get off the baseball topic, you know, there's, there's been rumors about maybe the spinners coming back down the road. Have have you heard anything about that? It's uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of rumors and a lot of conjecture and a lot of politics going on behind the scenes. Okay, uh, yeah. You know, my, my, my day job, you know, I, I, we, I do a political talk show uh, in, in Lowell, uh, still working for the same station, yeah. but yeah. Um, you know, we've covered it. We've covered it pretty extensively in the last few months. And um, you know, the, the city council is trying to figure out, you know, how or if they want to fix up the ballpark to bring a Red Sox affiliated team back to town. The Red Sox have expressed interest in that. Yeah. There's been some negotiations behind the scenes. UMass Lowell is involved in that because the building, you know, they, they are a tenant in the building and uh, also, you know, the, it was built on their land, so they have a stake in it. Yeah. And so there's a lot of kind of moving parts here about, if and when uh, the Red Sox may want to bring their team back, the the talk has been the the single A team that's down in Salem, Virginia, right now would move north. Uh, but that's it's it's still very much up in the air. And uh, I you know I, I said on the air the other day, I think if it is going to happen, uh, I think their window for 2023 is probably closing. Right. I think they're right. you know they're, they're you're going to have to look longer term because the word is that the that. Well, Asher Park needs somewhere around 30 to 40 million dollars worth of upgrades to be up to current minor league standards that were put in when they when they, uh, you know, deleted the entire short season level. So um, that's that's where it stands right now. And, you know, I hope it does happen because I think the people around here have certainly supported that team for more than two decades. I mean, there was, you know, for most of that time, it was literally impossible to get a ticket. Uh, those, you know, they were sold out every night things dipped in the last few years, but there's still a lot of support and a lot of people who miss being able to go to those games all summer long. So I, I hope they can work something out. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's segue into uh, your talk show career. I, I know that you're very busy on the sports talk show scene. Uh, you've got the Johnson and Flynn show uh, where you chat with a uh, former Ravens offensive lineman, Mike Flynn. You've also got the AT&T hockey show on 98.5 on the weekends. And of course, you mentioned you have your uh, midday show on WCAP. So uh, uh, obviously a different ball game than play by play, but uh, tell us 
us a little bit about that and, and how much you enjoy uh, the talk show scene and, and your preparation for uh, getting on the air. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we do, you know, right now my focus as you said, I've, I've got the 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 4 days a week I'm working on WCAP doing politics, which to be honest isn't all that different from sports. Right. It really is. You right. know, I I've uh, I've covered, you know, election nights, local election nights uh for for years in Lowell every every other year we have you know, a city council election, school committee elections and we broadcast live and and cover the results and I I I I look at it exactly the same as doing play-by-play. I mean, it's you're 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 covering an ever-changing event, and you're you know it's completely ad-libbed, and you got to be properly prepared to do it right, and you know do your homework in advance so that you're you're ready no matter what happens. Um, and, and, and so I've I've really enjoyed doing that. And the local political scene in the Lowell area is, it feels like it's nonstop. You know, there's just something always that we can really dig into. Um, you know, and, and, and I've enjoyed that, um, the sports hub, you know, I, I, I got into that, you know, right at the tail end of doing play by play in Lowell and, you know, the, uh, the program director at the start and for a lot of years afterwards was Mike Thomas and Mike had actually been one of the PA guys, uh, for the Lowell devils at the Songus arena. Oh, okay. Yep. yep. And so that's how we first met. And so I reached out to him when the play by play gig was, you know, was getting ready to go away. And uh, and he brought me in to do some weekends and I was just doing you know, you know headlines and things like that and kind of third chair on some of the weekend shows. And that kind of got my foot in the door. And then he approached me and said, would you be interested in hosting? We've got this guy from the Ravens who, you know, he's a Massachusetts guy. He's moving back here, but he's, you know, he's a Super Bowl champion and we think he'd be a good host. And we think you guys would might mesh well together. And, um, you know, and, and so Mike and I have worked together for, you know, for a lot of years, I I'm trying to remember, I, I think it was 20, maybe 2011, 2012 ish yeah, that we, yeah. that we started doing the show together. Um, the last couple of years, we haven't gotten a chance to work together nearly as much because his son got into doing Broadway shows. I mean, literally wow. on Broadway, wow. uh, you know, was, was Charlie and Charlie and the chocolate factory he was one of the kids in the new Mrs. Doubtfire musical. Um, you know, he's, and he's terrifically talented. And so, you know, they've been kind of, you know, Mike and his family have been kind of commuting back and forth to spending a lot of time in New York City. And uh, so he hasn't been around nearly as much. And he got into coaching football, too, during the falls. And so that's kind of taken away a lot of his time. Yeah. Um, but we but we really did mesh well. And, and um, you know, we we became very good friends and 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 I think worked together very well. And, you know, and that's that's been a lot of fun. And, and then the hockey show is something you know, that just kind of came to be out of that. It was, um, you know, for, for, I think for some years it had been on during the week, uh, you know, like 6 PM on a Wednesday night or something like that. Yeah. And they decided that they wanted to move it to, uh, to Saturday and expand it to two hours. And at that point, you know, with Dave Gosher and Bob Beers as the play by play people, um, you know, they weren't going to be available all the time. And so, you know, Mike came to me, Mike, Mike Thomas came to me and he said, would you, would you be interested in hosting with these guys? And then obviously when they're not around, you would have to do it, you know, solo or with somebody else. And I jumped at the chance, you know, anything yep. to be involved in, um, you know, in, in talking Bruins and, and hockey and, you know, the, the station does a lot of that, but to have a, a show that's two hours of sole focus on the Bruins and the NHL, is not something you get in a lot of markets. And so I, you know, I jumped at the opportunity to do that and been doing that for, 
what about probably about seven seven years or seven eight years somewhere in that ballpark now right right Great stuff. And Ryan, you also have a company called RJ Productions, right? That's a full service uh, voiceover production company uh, helping with uh, radio, TV commercials, corporate videos, sports promotion. You also uh, deal in some real estate with that. Is that correct? Uh, real estate. I won't. I wouldn't say I deal in real estate. I've done. A, I've done a few. Uh, they do these things called talking homes. Yeah, yeah. Where you know it's like a tour of the home, and they need somebody to do the voiceover for. I've done a few of those. Oh, I see. Um, okay. Yeah, okay. It's, it's. I'm not. Believe me, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> you don't want me. You don't want me selling or buying your home, probably. Uh, but no, it's. Uh, yeah, it's. It's just a side business that I started years ago. Uh, you know, I do it kind of here and there. I've got. You know, I've got some some clients that have been recurring clients for years. Um, some of them are in the, you know, are in the athletics and, uh, like Lehigh athletics. Um, you know, I've, I've been doing voiceover work for their radio broadcast for a number of years, uh, from a, when a, a good friend of mine used to work in their athletics department and he started and then he moved on, but they kept me on. Um, so I, you know, I, I do that from time to time when people approach me and, uh, still, you know, still try to add to my portfolio every so often, but it's a, a nice way to make a little bit of extra, extra money on the side. Can people, uh, learn about your business online anywhere? rjvoice.com. Thanks for the plug. Oh, great stuff. So uh, I'll definitely check that out when we get off the air here. Uh, Ryan, let me just get your thoughts on the NHL playoffs. I know we're only one game in. Uh, Bruins really took it on the chin last night in Raleigh 5-1. Toronto with a big shutout win over Tampa Bay 5-0. The games out west were interesting too. The Blues and Kings winning. So, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of really good teams that exit in this first round. That's just the way the matchups are. Yeah, the Eastern Conference especially. You know, the the there are eight really good teams in the East, uh, and there there were you know the rest of them were clearly not very good. I mean, it was it, it wasn't a question from about midseason who the playoff teams were going to be. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, in, in fact, on the hockey show last weekend, we talked to Aaron Ward, former Bruin and 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 Hurricane, who uh, is an NHL analyst now, and and he said there's at least three teams that are legitimate Stanley cup contenders that are going to be out after the first round. Right. Right. You know, that's how, that's how tight this is. And you know, the, the Bruins, I thought played well for good, you know, for some decent stretches in game one, just couldn't get the puck in the back of the net. And that worries me because I feel like early on in this series, they got to get, they got to get to, anti Ranta, you know, and take advantage of the opportunity they have with a backup goalie in there. And Ranta's not, you know, he's not a terrible goalie. He's had a pretty good season too, but he isn't playing at the level of Freddie Anderson. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the idea that, that Anderson is going to miss, you know, misses game one, I would imagine is probably going to miss game two. You've got to get at least one win out of that. You can't let that opportunity slip by because if Anderson comes back and he's at the top of his game, uh, you're, you're going to be sunk. So, yeah. you know, I, I thought last night or the, you know, in game one was, was a disappointment that they got held to one goal. Uh, they made some, I think some mental errors that, you know, ended up in the back of their net and they've got to, they've got to get that short up. Cause I think must, the game two is essentially a must win at this point. Yeah. I said it before the series started, the Bruins have to win one game down in Raleigh. If they come home down Oh two, I don't think they're going to win this series. That's my opinion. 
not yeah, you know, and the way that Carolina handled them during the regular season, and it's a totally different animal. And you know, some of those games were a long time ago before the Bruins kind of found their game. But um, you know, down 0-2 to a team that's been one of the best teams in the league all season long is not where you want to be. All right, Ryan, listen, before I let you go, I got to ask you about one other thing that I, you know, I happen to see this on Facebook. You're interested in uh, in cooking and barbecue. <laughs> RJ's, you call it RJ's Roadside Barbecue. Now, some of the stuff you've had on there looked absolutely delicious. When did your interest in, in the cooking and the barbecue start? Well, I've been, you know, I, I've, I've been interested in cooking for a long time and I've kind of, you know, have worked on it and I'm a food network guy. You know, if I'm not, if I'm not watching sports, I'm, you know, it's not uncommon to have food network on TV a lot. And I, I picked up some, some pretty good pointers over the years. And then I think it was about five, six years ago, my wife was, you know, looking to, you know, get me a birthday present. And she said, well, what about a smoker? She knew I like barbecue and, and, and I said, you know, I don't know how much I'm going to use it is right. the only yeah. the only problem. I don't know because I thought, you know, it's a lot of time, right? I know it takes a lot of time to make some of this stuff. So sure. how much am I really going to use this, especially given how much I, you know, I tend to work on the weekends. Yep. Yep. And uh, well, she, you know, we talked about it and she said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get it for you. And, and so she got me a, a smoker and I tried it out a couple of times and I really enjoyed it. I really, you know, I made a, made a couple of pretty simple things and uh, they came out, they came out well. And I thought, you know, this is something that I might actually be able to do. And kind of along the way, I just, I really fell in love with it. So now if I have the opportunity, if I have, you know, any free time on the weekends, yeah, uh, I want to make something special right it's like I, we you know we eat regularly all week long you know we're not no, nothing nothing too over the top but when i've got a you know when i've got a saturday afternoon free or i've got an all-day sunday and i can put some ribs on or i can put some brisket on or you know beef ribs and you know it, it, or just experimenting with different types of things um it's it's just become something that i've really enjoyed and so somewhere along the way i i started posting some photos to my twitter account and to facebook and instagram and now people kind of know me for it and you know so now if i'm on you know if, during football season people are calling me up and asking me tailgate ideas or <laughs> ryan i'm gonna make this steak You're like what's the best way to do this or you know kind of things like that and which is great because it, it honestly is i i believe something that everyone can do if you're willing to put in a little bit of time and a little bit of effort right uh i think it's something that everybody can accomplish uh and it's a and it's it's a lot of fun and, and you get to eat some good food and it's you know you kind of do the trial and effort trial and error type of thing uh to to figure out what you're doing and you know i've learned from some from tv shows i've learned from some good barbecue cookbooks and um you know and and just try things out best I can and, and hope for the best. And I don't know, my wife seems to like it most of the time. So I must be doing something. Right. <laughs> I think uh, Mike, the Sarge Riley and I might have to get in on a little of that action. I'll, uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll bring the uke and the guitar. So that'll be my, uh, that'll be my contribution, I guess. But 
Anyway, Ryan, uh, we're going to uh, wrap this up here. But uh, listen, I really want to thank you for coming on. This was a fantastic episode. I know our audience is really going to love it. Uh, again, you can hear Ryan on 98.5, the Sports Hub, also on 980 WCAP in Lowell. Ryan, uh, thanks so much again. Uh, it was great having you. I'd love to have you on again. And thanks so much for your time. I truly appreciate it. Thanks, John. Had a good time. All right. He is Ryan Johnson, our special guest. Next week, we will be joined by John Rook, the PA voice of the New England Patriots, as well as the play-by-play voice of Providence College men's basketball. You've been listening to Airing It Out, files from Leahy's broadcast booth, and we will see you next week. Hello, hockey fans. I'm Dan Rusinowski. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Incorporated is mitochondrial disease, rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.